All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. on good people of the internet i know that introduction is a little different but uh james is not here tonight it's actually just going to be me as usual i am mary haven't changed my name yet or anything and i am sitting down with our good friend cat hey i'm glad to be here again and we are going to talk about runaways yes so I- excited I am very excited. I'm sure our listeners will be shocked to find out that I am a massive Runaways fan. And um, so James and Travis still haven't fully caught up on it yet. So I'm really excited to be able to sit down and talk with somebody who has read Runaways and loves it. Because sometimes I end up, it kind of feels like I'm giving the boys a lecture. (laughs) Well, hopefully they catch up soon. I mean, I feel like there's some good jumping on points with even the the newer run. Oh, absolutely. But before we dive into that, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, all these different places. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we're there except SoundCloud because James has a hate boner for SoundCloud. So he he shits on SoundCloud every episode. So I, I told James I would do that for him. I'm glad that the, the plug of uh, shitting on SoundCloud is is in the podcast. I honestly, yeah. I haven't, I never used SoundCloud ever. So I don't know if that helps that or not. But see, the only thing I really know about SoundCloud is that I see people like plug their SoundClouds off under like viral tweets and whatnot. True. I wonder why everyone has a SoundCloud. I I don't know what they're trying to say on there, but... I don't know. It remains a mystery. But before we dive into everyone's favorite group of runaways, uh, Kat, I know you have some really exciting things in the pipeline. Would you like to talk about that real quick? Yeah, of course. Uh, so right now, I have a Kickstarter going on for my comic book, They Call Her the Dancer. It's about a young woman was a dancer slash assassin. When she was little, she witnessed her parents being murdered in front of her and never dealt with that trauma until now. Uh, we just launched and we just funded, which is really cool. So it hasn't even been a week and we're fully funded and we have 25 days left. So you have a, a good amount of time to back 
but if you want to get the exclusive foil covers, those are actually going out really quickly. So I, I would back soon if you want one of those. But yeah, if you guys could go check it out, that'd be awesome. That sounds really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked about it. See, my wife used to dance, so the funny, you know, the dancer turned assassin. That's very on brand for her, so. I hope she gets to gets to read it one of these days. I love when, like, dancers actually read the book and uh, tell me their experiences about all, all that. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, I'm going to start because this is me uh, giving our listeners a brief history lesson about Runaways. It was originally published in 2003 under Marvel's uh, ill-fated Tsunami imprint. It was Marvel's response to the big manga boom that was happening in the early 2000s. So they launched a whole series of books to try and mimic the manga style and storylines. So we had a a lot of really fun, fantastical stories. But Tsunami went belly up real quickly. And Runaways was one of the only books to actually survive that. Runaways very quickly became a cult favorite amongst Marvel fans and even comic book readers. It ran consistently until 2009 when it was uh, canceled, and it actually did not see a proper return until 2017. There, during the Secret Wars 2 event, there was a Runaways tie-in written by Noelle Stevenson. Yes, the one from She-Ra. But um, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. I, I didn't like it. But... Yeah, I don't remember any of the post-Brian K. Vaughn Runaway stuff being that great. So, until obviously... Uh, rainbow but in between there there was a dry spell for sure and obviously not having any of the books oh yeah i mean we had we had a few runaways doing some uh interesting things nico primarily being the one bouncing around a lot there was god help me avengers arena <laughs> where it- oh right yeah it- and she was in one too because there was like two versions of that right there's avengers arena and then something else avengers underground i think okay i think that was like a follow-up because that's when she hooks up with alex again because he's in hell oh no <laughs> oh yeah and then um more recently nico joined a force in both the secret wars event and the after secret wars book written by uh kelly thompson I loved A Force. I thought that was a lot of fun, uh, especially the the sequel. The the I mean, it's hard to do something that's tied into an event, oh. but once they like got their own legs, that was a lot of fun. And just seeing Nico do her own thing was cool. Because I think the Secret Wars book was G Willow Wilson and Marguerite Bennett, and ah, uh, it's a different creative team. You can tell what scenes were Marguerite Bennett because she's. I love her to death. She's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do some shit. Like, <laughs> um, for uh, some of us, you know, we've got a lot of readers that are just now getting into comics. Uh, Marguerite Bennett wrote Bombshells at DC, which is truly one of the strangest books I have ever read. So if you're looking for a good time, a very gay time, go ahead and check out Bombshells. It is a retelling of World War II with the women of the DC universe in the uh, pin-up bombshell variant cover style fighting World War II. It is 
absolutely ridiculous. But surprise, surprise, I'm getting off track. <laughs> Um, I want to say it was in about 2015 where we saw Runaways kind of resurface a little bit because there was news that um, they were a Runaways movie was in development for the MCU. However, that got shuttered very quickly. It just kind of disappeared as soon as it popped up. And then um, there was a, it kind of transitioned to a television adaptation on Hulu under the title of Marvel's Runaways. So we have a really interesting progression and then kind of a resurgence out of nowhere. And the, the uh, current book, Volume 5, uh, launched in 2017 ahead of the Hulu show. And like the Runaways typically do, it the individual sales for the single issues for uh, this current run of Runaways. Wow, that is that's a tongue twister. It uh, it they, the single issue sales haven't been great, but it sells just good enough in trade that it's sticking around. So that kind of brings you up to date with a little bit of a history for it. So um, the original book was launched by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Adolph. Blech. Alphona, my god, I cannot talk tonight. And uh, launched in 2003. And it was, I would almost call it like a counterculture book. It's the Teen Titans, but not. I don't know. How would you try to sum up those first 18 issues? Oh, man, that's so hard. It's interesting because I, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody about this today and on an interview where I think that Marvel and DC, it's definitely Marvel, a lot of their mainstream books now are trying to copy what indie books do. And I think Runaways did that like 20 years early or 15 years early uh, because it feels like an indie book in a lot of ways. Uh, and I, I think that's the best way to describe it. Oh, absolutely. And particularly since around that timeline, Brian K. Vaughn was just swinging out left and right because he was writing uh, Why the Last Man around that time, which was a huge book coming out of Vertigo. Yeah, yeah. He he made his name, obviously, with that. But yeah, he was such a he's always a big name, but especially back then. Oh, oh, hell yeah. But um. The original 18 issues is largely considered the um, the best of it because it, it when you read it, it was clearly designed to be a standalone story. But I think if my if my memory is correct, about halfway through those 18 issues, Marvel just threw money at the team and went, oh, my God, do more. So it was clearly designed to be a self-contained story. And the basic story is that, you know, you have these kids that get together, you know, about once a year or so because their parents are super wealthy philanthropists. You know, plot twist, they're super villains. And they find this out the hard way when they go snooping and find their parents committing human sacrifice. So the kids in true teenage fashion are kind of like, well, shit, what the hell do we do now? And they end up running away and eventually taking the fight to their parents. And it's just Runaways is one of those books that's very hard to streamline the plot. Because, and I know it's cliche to say this, but it's one of those books you actually have to sit down and experience. 
because there is so like the plot is so fun the characters are so intense and it's just super really super engaging yeah i think it's a you know it's so weird because i want to say it's a character driven book because it totally is but also the plot is so good for the book especially those first 18 issues but what's so fun about runaways and if we speak uh, past the 18 issues and i guess even now to the current run um it's always its own thing, right? Like it's in the Marvel universe. You see the loners, you see Wolverine pop up every once in a while, but it's always so separate. And and I think that's what makes the book so special is that, yeah, it's part of Marvel, but it doesn't really have to play by its rules. It's always kind of on the outside looking in. Yes, exactly. And I think that actually plays into the theme of the book because the book deals a lot with you know, runaway teens and homelessness that you know, I've always found that that kind of to be the undercurrent of the book that, you know, they inevitably throughout the rest of the run, they bounce from place to place to place. You know, sometimes it's hard to put food on the table. There's one issue I really like where uh, the character Victor Mancha and Molly are in a convenience store or a grocery, sh- grocery store, and Molly is a bit younger than the rest of them, and she wants to get this, you know, sugary cereal with marshmallow, lucky charms, we'll just call it that. And Victor has to try and gently talk her down that Nico was only able to give them $19 because that's all the money they had, and the brand name cereal was expensive. So I think that that was, you know, it's a heartbreaking scene because how do you, you know, telling an 11 year old kid that, no, I'm sorry, we don't have money for that. I mean, I grew up relatively underprivileged because, you know, my dad was disabled. So only one parent could work. And I, you know, I heard that a lot of I'm sorry, sweetheart, we can't afford it. So that really hit home to me. And the book is full of little moments like that where it's just Brian K. Vaughn sneaking up on you going, hey, hey, look at this. Yeah, it's a really, it's a ground, I mean, it's hard to say, okay, it's a grounded book because there's time travel and all this, but the, the reason it's so successful and, and why it's such a memorable book, why it hits home for so many people is because it, it is grounded. It is about these people. It's about the kids and yeah, they have superpowers, but it's definitely not the main plot. It's sometimes mm-hmm. I'm even touched upon very often. Like there could be issues where they don't use their powers at all. So yeah, that's, that's why I particularly love the book. And I appreciate that they feel like real teenagers. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I think I first started reading it. I was about 12 or 13 when I first started reading it. I want to say it was about 04 because I had to do a lot of catch up. But um, to me, they always kind of seemed like the cool older kids in the neighborhood. And, you know, going. Yeah, I was in. I was in high school, I think, when I read it, too. So I think it was very relatable at that time. And um, like I said, they were kind of like always the cool older kids. And going back and rereading it as an adult, you're like, oh, my God, these are a bunch of fucking teenagers. But yeah, they definitely feel like it. And now I guess now they're 18 or so. And that's kind of cool that I don't want to say they grew up with the audience because they didn't. But at least there's some some more some more relatable stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah. And I mean, particularly for this book to come out in the very tumultuous period in comics that was the post 9-11 world. So everything was really tense. You know, we had just gone back to war kind of a thing. So it was 
comics took kind of a weird turn and Runaways stood outside of that a little bit and, you know, told you, hey, it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be queer. It's okay if you don't feel like you belong because there is someone, you know, you can make your own family. It is found family probably in the most literal sense that I've seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you, like, we were talking about the Teen Titans before, even if you compare to that, which is, you know, when you think found family, you think, you know, Titans forever. Uh, but Runaways is definitely, I think, even more than, than the Teen Titans. Uh, you get to see that because they rely on each other. And, you know, the Teen Titans, in some regards, they do, too. But, like, not to survive, uh, you know, maybe in the battlefield. But, like, the Runaways, they... They do it to survive, too. They have to have each other's back. And also how much uh, betrayal they've had, too. So, you know, the idea of trust and, and how you build that is such a big, uh, important aspect of the book. Oh, yeah. And um, I like that uh, outsiders are typically kind of side-eyed for a while. But... Um... Yeah, true. Okay, let me try to get myself back on track. Um, the first point that I have is what attracted us to the book? What really made you and I pick it up and go, oh my god, this is the book for me? I mean, for me, I think it was, I mean, I was in high school. I was reading the Marvel Unlimited stuff. Like, I, I was a huge Spider-Girl fan. And I was just, like, really wanted to read high school things. Like, I, I even now I'm 26 years old and I still really like high school stories. And even when I was in, like, grammar school or, you know, elementary school, I really like high school stories because the opportunity, or the, I would say, because obviously they're not really in high school here, but, like, teen stories is because you get a lot of people interacting that you normally wouldn't, right? As adults, like, I mean, maybe coworkers or whatever, but you surround yourself with, you know, people you want to surround yourself with in high school and teenagers. Sometimes you're stuck with somebody you don't want to really be interacting with, but you get a lot of juicy story out of it. So I think that's why I've always enjoyed high school teenage stories. And same for, I mean, the runaways, these are all very different people uh, coming from very different backgrounds, uh, even if they're all privileged. But uh, seeing that piece stripped away from them was so interesting. And I just love seeing them interact with each other and become friends I mean, even though they were friends, but become better friends and become family uh, it was super interesting. And it, and it comes from the diverse voices that are being put into the into the book is why I stayed is those characters. You know, oh, I, yeah. I feel like there's so many comics that try, you know, indie comics or Marvel or DC. They try to bring the next best teen hero. But a lot of times they all feel the same. You know, they're all trying to be yeah. Peter Parker, you know, but, but you have to bring a distinct voice like Miss Marvel. Right. The reason that was so success, a successful, a, you know, diversity and also just she had such a unique voice. We hadn't seen her before. And, and it goes from having a, a Muslim hero, but then also having, you know, this this person who was just a fan of, of superheroes. So going back to uh, the Runaways, it's kind of a similar thing where it's just like these voices felt unique. They weren't trying to be Peter Parker. They weren't trying to be something that already existed. No, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, to kind of touch on what you just said, those, you know, diverse, interesting voices, that's really what pulled me into it, too, where it didn't feel like any other team at the time, because I think Young Justice was running around the same time. And, you know, the Runaway has always tried very hard to not be superheroes. Because, you know, that's just that they were just trying to survive. I mean, granted, it's kind of, you know, Brian K. Vaughn likes to do deconstructionism. 
And it was clearly a deconstruction of the superhero genre. And I want to touch on that with Rainbow a little later. Uh, because she kind of picked that mantle back up very well. And it's funny, I like to point out to some friends of mine that, you know, certain runaways have very similar power sets and even character traits to some of the Teen Titans. Uh, Nico and Carolina being Raven and Starfire, respectively. That's true, yeah. Never even put two, two and two together with that one. Um, do, do, do. Um, okay, so there are a handful of characters. There's Chase Stein, who is the oldest of the group, and he's a tech genius. Then you have Nico Minoru, who is a magician, sort of, maybe, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I don't even know she'd be able to label herself. Oh, yeah, because, and I mean, not to mention, there's a lot of inconsistency with her power set. True. Yeah, especially as. I like that now currently they're trying to like work in like what is her powers and how they work. But like, yeah, previously it's like originally she had to like cut herself in, and that's how she got her, her wand. And then that kind of changed. And I agree. It's been kind of inconsistent, but you could kind of understand like why they wanted to change it. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. interesting to see that. But um, let, let's just say that her primary power is wielding the staff of one which is one of the most powerful artifact, magical artifacts in the Marvel Universe. It, Nico's damn near, you know, omnipotent at some times. That, because um, I think in a recent issue of Rainbow Rowell's run, in a desperate bid to save Carolina, uh, she summons the sun. Like, you know, she casts a spell and the sun just comes up over the horizon and I'm sitting here wondering, how does this affect the rest of the world? That would have been a good issue. Just seeing everyone but the runaways and how they were affected by them. Right. And then you have um, uh, Carolina Dean, who is, um, she's an alien from a planet called Magistane. And I think it's Magistane. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it these days. It's crazy about Carolina slash Carolina. I feel like her whole yeah. entire thing is like, how do you pronounce anything that's connected to her? Because <laughs> right. I know from the two, it's Carolina. And then, like, I know Rainbow calls her Carolina, and, like, me growing up, I always called her Carolina. So it's, like, anything attached to her. How the hell do you pronounce any of it? <laughs> uh -huh. But she's essentially, like, a human, well, not human, but, like, rainbow kaleidoscope person. Um, they have a um, particular power set. I always found her to be kind of a combination of Supergirl and Starfire where um, she has light-based powers that are solar-influenced. Like, you know, if she's underground for too long, she can't power up. And she shoots little blasts of light out of her hand, and also a weirdly inconsistent power. They all have weirdly inconsistent power sets. I think after a while, people are like, you know, who gives a crap if the Runaways have a working cannon? Let's just do whatever. I would say the only one who's been, like really good at trying to keep the canon in his rainbow because i remember you know even with uh molly which i'm sure we'll mm -hmm. get to like she's supposed to get really tired after she uses her super strength you know we never like in between in that middle you didn't really get to see it that often but rainbow yeah. does that a couple of times where she gets a little tired i don't know if it happens as consistently but i guess like is that really interesting to see on panel someone getting tired all the time 
Oh yeah, and you know that particularly in like high stress situations, Molly has to stop and take a nap. So mm-hmm. uh, Molly, let's just jump to Molly. Molly Hayes is the youngest member of the group. At the start of the book, she was eleven, and I think in Rainbow's Run, she's now thirteen. But um, Molly is a mutant, and that was one of the more frustrating changes for the TV show. But uh, Molly is a mutant, and her mutant abilities are just literal super strength. But, you know, like Kat was just saying, their drawback to her power is that she doesn't really know how to control it, so she gets very tired very quickly. So, you know, they could be fighting, you know, this uh, big monster or whatever, and she's overexerted herself too much, so then they have to, she has to find a place to sit so she can take a nap. And uh, it, it has caused problems in the past, because they're like, great, we lost our bruiser. Um... The next character that we get is uh, Gertrude Yorks. Gert's primary power is the fact that she has a dinosaur. Um, the dinosaur's name is Old Lace, uh, who is a Deinonychus and not a Velociraptor. Everybody always likes to point that out in, in, in the book. And uh, Gert dies a lot. And that, that honestly, that kind of seems to be Gert's primary plot point. If you've ever read a Brian K. Vaughn book, you know he likes to kill for shock value. I mean, so, oh yeah, for sure. Saga alone these days is just oh my god. Don't if you ever read Saga, don't fall in love with any of these characters because they will die. I think the only one I could think of, and even though there was hints to death, uh, was Paper Girls. I don't know yeah. if you've read it. Um, but that one, not there's a lot of hints to it, but luckily there's some survival in that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Gert ends up being kind of the emotional focus of the book for a long time, because even after she, oh, uh, spoiler alert, I suppose, uh, even after she does die, a lot of the emotions, you know, even in the, the years after that really hinge on Gert's loss because they lost a member of their family. And the the last person of the original Runaways is Alex Wilder, who was kind of the leader. He has no real special powers. He's just really smart. And uh, he uses that to his advantage. And in the coming years, we pick up Victor Mancha, who is in the second run of the book, which was still written by Brian K. Vaughn. He's a cyborg who was built by Ultron. Um, there's Clara. Clara doesn't stick around very long. They pick her up in a time travel adventure, and she's more or less just Poison Ivy. Yeah, she was a very okay character. It's like, oh, when she is gone, I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. Now, if we lost Victor, that'd be a, a bigger deal. But oh, Carla, that, that she, I didn't care too much about her. Not, and honestly, neither did I. And then the biggest one is Zavin, who I will want to touch on later, because <clears throat> Zavin is a scroll. And this is the time, you know, it's around secret invasion. Marvel was really big into scrolls are evil. And that's actually why Zavin is booted from the book because Terry Moore was writing the book at the time and he's the one that yeets Zavin into the sun because he believed that there could be no good scrolls. So that's why Zavin oh, yeah, yeah. That's why Zavin's pushed out of the book. So, I always wish that um, someone would bring Zavin back. I feel like they, they're such a cool character. I think and I feel like there's so much potential. 
Rainbow has been hinting on her social media what and whatnot that um, she's bringing a character back. Mm. And she said, it's a character that people have been wanting to see come back for a while. And Oh, it has to be them. Oh, yeah, it, it has to be them. All signs point to Zavin. Because the last time they, we left them was that they were pretending to be Carolina in space. That's been mm-hmm. 10 years. <laughs> like, there's a lot there. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, Carolina is convicted of war crimes, of which she's not really responsible for. Like, uh, it's Marvel rules, right? Yeah. Don't, don't you think they would have forgotten about it by now? Yeah. But uh, the, uh, her home planet gets destroyed and they blame her for it. So the special forces come and hunt her down and we're like, we need to put you on trial. And Carolina's like, I mean, I guess. And Zavin's like, wait, no, hold up. I will go in your place. But because I keep accidentally going in that direction, let's go ahead and talk about some of the LGBTQ rep. Because I want to say, particularly for that time period, you know, like 2003 to 2009, there's a lot of it in this series of books. And particularly with teen books, it was pretty unheard of at the time to have, you know. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I stopped to take a drink of something. It's cool. But um, we don't really get a lot of it in the first 18 issues, but there are very strong hints that Carolina is gay. Because literally the first thing she says in the entire book is, Nico, you're so hot. Because she runs up to Nico and um, we find out later on that she is desperately in love with Nico. It's honestly, it's like a damn soap opera. It is. And, and, you know, and what's so cool about Car- Carolina is um, I like that it was a slow burn. And I like that it, oh, yeah. Ryan, like you said, he knew from the beginning that, that she was a, a lesbian and that she was a queer character. And you could tell it was built up and it took a really like kind of long time. And I liked the slow burn because it felt real. It felt organic. And, and oh, yeah. it, it it just, and we still to this day sometimes don't get those type of stories in comics or in other media. So it was really cool to see that. And then also, especially in that time, um, I feel like there there wasn't a lot of like femme lesbian representation. Uh, no. So I think that's really interesting too. Uh, and I, I thought Brian did a very good job at, at it, even if he's not a queer writer. I, I, you could kind of tell that he did research of some sort uh, oh. because it, it really plays out here and, and it's really shown well here and yeah and I think that's also really important um because someone might be able to see themselves in Carolina I'm sure a lot of people saw themselves in Carolina oh, yeah. it was um because I was coming out around that time and you know uh, I'm I've told the internet my Batwoman sob story but um you know being able to look at Batwoman and be like okay this is the kind of character I want to be when I grow up or not character but person but I was able to look at Carolina and just kind of see, holy, you know, I can be queer and be a teenager at the same time. Like, I don't have to wait to, you know, be able to get comfortable with myself. I can do it now. Yeah, and, and it's cool that, again, she had a journey, right? Like Once yeah. she came out, she was 
pretty comfortable, I guess, with it, right? She wasn't comfortable that Nico said no. no. Uh, she's very upset about that, but she is open, you know, and, and very happy to to be with Zavin after finding out that uh, they can be a girl uh, and being open to her family slash friends about it. So it was a really cool way that they did it. Like, I think they still dealt with, like, the internalized homophobia, but in a very different way, a very subtle way that they did it. Oh, no, I agree. I think Brian K. Vaughn is kind of, he is very reminiscent of Greg Rucka in the sense that they write queer women so beautifully, I would be convinced they were queer women themselves. <laughs> yeah, 100, I 100% agree. I think there's so few male writers and straight writers can, that can do that. But Brian K. Vaughn yeah. is on top of my list because if you read... Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Why the Last Man's a big example, but then also uh, Paper Girls, I think, has done a re really beautiful job at, like, uh, not even teens. It was preteen characters figuring oh, yeah. out their sexuality. And honestly, like, every Brian, which I uh, very much appreciate and I hope he continues to do, every Brian K. Vaughn book has a, a queer female character. And I think that's awesome. And I, again, I hope he continues to do that. Oh, no, same. It's just, it just seems to get better as time goes on. But, you know, so we have Carolina's kind of coming out story arc. Well, not necessarily a coming out story arc, but um, I get intense secondhand embarrassment from what can be considered her coming out scene. Because, oh, know, yeah, <laughs> as I said before, Carolina, she is desperately in love with Nico, like gross teenage, super deep in love with her. And you know, Carolina misreads a situation when they're alone and tries to kiss her. And Nico freaks the hell out. She's just kind of like, what are you doing? Because Nico had, had uh, made an offhanded comment issues before that um, she was just going to give up on boys entirely. And Carolina's like, oh, okay, I'm going to write this down and save it for later. And she clearly read too much into that comment. And, and it felt like, especially at that time, that, that moment felt very real because I mean, this was like mm -hmm. 2000, whatever, maybe like she just didn't know how to react, you know, she just yeah. like, she didn't have any weird people in her life. So she's like, oh no. <laughs> so I, I, I really liked that. And then also, like you were saying, like Carolina kind of picking up on cues, I thought was very interesting. It just really organically written that scene, even if the results wasn't, you know, happy for everybody. It, it was a, a real scene. You know, I, I completely agree, because I feel like, you know, in Romantic Pursuits, a lot of us have pulled some dumb shit like that, where we just misread the entire situation. God help me, I know I have. And, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's why I get such deep secondhand embarrassment, because like, you know, it, yes, it's a comic book, but comic book, but like you're watching it play out in slow motion. And then also, I mean, even coming from like a queer perspective, I feel like it also just felt very queer because it's just like Carolina in that regard, maybe couldn't act like, oh, well, do you like girls? Maybe she, in that point, she didn't feel like she could ask that question. Then you're like, oh, well, if she, and which we'll get into later, if she does like girls, you're outing the person. I mean, they're not ready to be out, especially mm -hmm. as like a teenager and in that time period. So I thought that was really interesting. Like, how does she make her move, you know? And then obviously she did it an awkward way, but... Uh, she made her move. <laughs> and, you know, to heighten the teen drama, you know, as soon as Nico very vehemently rejects her, kind of like, and she expresses almost immediate confusion. 
and Caroline is like, I thought, you know, well, do you, I thought you liked girls. And Nico's like, well, no, she asks if she's moving too fast. And Nico's like, yeah. yes, no, I, I don't know. And so Nico immediately expresses confusion at the situation. And I think, you know, that's really the start of what would turn out to be a 13 year saga of, you know, of Nico figuring herself out that maybe it didn't click before. But, you know, even outside of Runaways, there is substantial evidence to support Nico's now uh, having come out as bisexual. I mean, she hasn't said it. I'm using air quotes here. But in comics, you know, it's very clear when a character is that, you know, there's a lack of saying, well, I'm a lesbian or I'm gay or I'm bisexual. And I think, sidebar, I think that's something comics need to improve on. I'm not saying we have to force labels on characters, but it can be helpful for reading them for terms of representation. Well, yeah, because you also just don't want to, like... Yeah, why does it have to be headcanon, even though it's not headcanon? But it's just yeah. like like Kitty Pride, right? Like Kitty Pride, she kissed a girl, and we know it's canon that she's bisexual. But she still hasn't said the words at all. Yeah. And then they don't mention it at all after. So it's like, oh, that's kind of hard. Um, the only character I could think from from Marvel, I'm not going to talk about DC right now, but from Marvel is Julie Power, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Julie, uh, she has a bisexual. I don't think it was like the perfect bisexual coming out story, but I do think she represents bisexuality well in, in the regard that she's talked about it. Um, she's open about it. And you know she's a bisexual character because she has talked about it. Um, but yeah, I agree. You don't have to say the words, but at the same time, it's also important to say the words. So it's kind of a shame. With Nico, like, maybe she doesn't have to because, like, we do very much know that she's bi, but, like, oh, a yeah. character like, like a character like Kitty Pride, you know? I feel like yeah. we need a little bit more confirmation on that side. Especially, you know, Kitty Pride, you know, looking at that Kitty Pride example and even lumping Nico in with it a bit herself, that there's a lot of fan service there. Yeah, because as soon as Nico rejects Carolina, boom, Zavin crash lands out of nowhere. And, you know, they pop out of their little capsule and like, guess what, Carolina, we're engaged. <laughs> and that's it, it, it's truly coconuts. The whole situation is just truly coconuts. That's where you find out that Carolina's parents pulled some shenanigans where they promised Carolina to, I think Zavin is, I'm using the loose term here, a prince, aren't they? I think so. I think they're royalty, and then they 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 uh, reveal themselves biologically as a man when mm -hmm. um, when we first see them. Uh, I think they were royalty in some regard. But, um, you know, Carolina's parents pulled some shenanigans and promised Carolina to Zavin's parents and, you know, it was going to be this big because the Magistinians and the scrolls were at war, yada yada, scrolls being troublesome. And, um, Zavin's kind of like, okay, pack your bags, we're ready to go. And she's like, oh, hold the fuck up, I'm not attracted to men. Because, you know, Zavin had crash landed and presented as a man. And Zavin's like, oh, okay, hold up, hang on. And then, you know, shifts into a female form and Carolina is suddenly very okay with the situation 
And I she's like, Nico broke my heart. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> and I kind of like that immediate panic response because had a few days passed between the refusal from Nico and Zav and crash landing, I don't know if Nico would have left with them. If uh, if Carolina would have left with Zavin. And yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. I think it was just because of a high. Like it really was back to back, and it all made sense because it was like this escapism. She, mm-hmm. you know, Carolina had just come out, and it didn't go well. At least in the point of view for her and Nico, she was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna escape. I'm just gonna, you know, go somewhere else." And uh, Zavin's just kind of like, okay, you know, look, shifting gender presentation is just kind of like changing hair color for scrolls. So it's not a super huge deal for me. Plot twist, it starts to become a problem later on. Which was such an interesting story. And Oh, absolutely. Um, again, and we'd it- love to see that continue to be tackle if Zavin does come back. And, um, you know, it was still worked on a lot when Brian K. Vaughn was still on the book, and then after he left, God help me, Joss Whedon took over the book. And that just... It's not terribly written, but it's very awkward. In, like, if you go back... This is somewhat boring. (laughs) Yeah. um, It also has a lot of Joss Whedon's textbook sexualization, and it's even more uncomfortable because at the time they're underage girls. We see Nico kind of uh, I guess the scientific term would be a hoe bag <laughs> where she starts to express her issues with her sexuality by hooking up with a lot of different people and that is a problem throughout with Nico is that she can be sort of promiscuous and yeah. it, and uh, have you read the recent issue of Runaways? the most recent one? yeah, Pic- yeah. Pixie needs to back off yeah, did you see that that last panel? Yep, that that I'm just kind of like Nico. I have not, you know, threatened to hit you with a stick in a while, and I will go get one and hit you with it if you pull some shit. Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous, but I trust Rainbow. But man, that was a panel. I mean, and Rainbow has said on her social media and whatnot that she she's not gonna break him up. That you know, she says they have a very strong relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And up until this point, she's written it so well that I think I'm hoping she's just leaning into a bit of teen drama because after the whole Doc Justice thing, everyone's a little scattered to the wind and, you know, Carolina almost died. She's going through a lot right now, for sure. And also, like, what's interesting in the story, and we'll go back to our other topic, but, like, I think it's interesting that it goes back to, like, we're just talking about her going to space and kind of figuring out her heritage. She still doesn't know her heritage, right? She's oh, still, no. like, that all. She's like, I don't know what organs are, like, in my body. I don't know why I'm sick. I can go to a hospital. Like, what's, what, who am I? Uh, and I think that's super fascinating. And I like that her just genuine identity crisis with not knowing, you know, just what exactly she is, it kind of took the place of a sexuality crisis because she's very comfortable with it almost immediately. So, like, you, yeah. you can tell she's done a lot of the internal work and has fully accepted the fact that she is gay. So I think it's really interesting that kind of the, you know, am I, you know, can I call myself a human? Like, you know, exterior-wise, I am fully identical to a human except the fact that I glow sometimes. 
So I like that that it didn't fully replace it, but we still got to have an identity crisis while avoiding the, oh my God, I'm gay. I'm terrible going to hell tropes. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a beautiful analogy. And I, I like that she continues to try to find herself. And I think that's a great part of her character. Absolutely. She is uh, definitely my second favorite runaway. Nico is obviously my favorite. Caroline is my favorite, but Nico's my close second, so we reverse on that one. <laughs> but, um, and so Carolina does leave with Zavin for a while, and something that I think is interesting is that Nico points out, you're just leaving because I didn't kiss you. And Carolina's like, eh, I mean, maybe, but whatever. It's like, Bye. And it lasts for a while, too, like, thinking in comic terms. Like, I didn't read it when it was coming out. But that was, like, a lot of issues. You gotta wait a lot of months to, to oh, kind yeah. of get their back. I think it's at least six or seven issues. I just remember beating my head against a wall going, oh, my God, is she ever going to come back? Like, did they really just get rid of the gay person? And they do come back when the drama heightens. You know, Gerd is killed. And, you know, Carolina comes back, you know, 20 seconds before Gerd is killed. And she kind of pops up and she's like, hey, Nico, what's up? And Nico's like, oh, my God, you're still alive. Like, I have your, you know, I kept your bracelet that keeps your powers from going wonky. And uh, I do think it's interesting that in the time that Carolina is gone, we see Nico kind of go through a crisis on her own. I think that's really when she starts to work out her own feelings that oh 100% right away she's like oh man maybe I missed her more than I thought I would uh because there are a few scenes that I like is that one when Carolina immediately leaves she goes to grab Chase's switchblade so she can cut herself to summon the staff to magic Carolina back she's like wait a minute I didn't think she was actually gonna leave and uh later on there's a scene where she drags a bunch of Carolina's clothes into her room and Chase comes in and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, she's gone too. And the scene that really hits me is that, you know, Nico grew up, ironically, in a very religious family. And so she actually gets down on her knees and prays, you know, just hoping that Carolina is all right, that Carolina will come back at some point. And her prayers are answered. Carolina does come back, but Zavin is with her and she is still with Zavin. And we see it, it's never the right moment for her, right? And I think yeah. that's also something that Rainbow picks up on right away. It's just like anytime they want to be together, it just yeah, you know, it, it never the right time. It never matches up. And where you know Nico gets to be kind of a problem is that Carolina is still very much in love with her. That they will have these tender moments when they're by themselves. And they break into honest-to-God fights sometimes. Because I think, God help me, it's during the Joss Whedon run. And this is one scene that I think was genuinely written very well. That Nico screws up a deal because she takes over as the de facto leader. And, you know, she's on a roof and Carolina comes up to see her. And wraps her arms around her like, hey, this isn't your fault. And they stand there in a very, you know tender moment like yes they're best friends and I'm using air quotes here but it's a very clear sign of attraction from Carolina 
And then Nico tries to be supportive about Savin, but says something stupid and pisses off Carolina. And Carolina throws in her face like, Zavin gives me what you can't or what you won't. And then she flies off and Nico starts to cry. So, like, there's very clearly more going on here. And that's kind of where I start to get the point that, you know, Carolina and Zavin, they're not really all that good together. At least, this is my opinion, is that I think... I agree. Yeah, for sure. I think Carolina honestly treats Zavin like crap a lot of the time. Yeah, I don't, because she, she, I don't think she loved Zavin, and I I think she loved the idea of Zavin. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree that I think she loves Zavin and, like, you cares for them very deeply, but she's in love with Nico. And unfortunately, later on, I think it was the same thing with Julie Powers. I think she really loved the idea of Julie. And genuinely didn't want to lose her, but Julie recognized that Nico is a problem. Yeah, no, uh, Julie is my girl. Julie will always be my girl. Um, and yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, Julie, and it's so proven, and I love, I love that Rainbow Road is. Like, you know, Julie goes to visit Carolina, and she's going out of her way to keep this long-distance relation, relationship. And Carolina just doesn't care. She's ignoring her girlfriend, and, and Julie's just trying to be a good girlfriend. Uh, it never works out. And I, I love the way that unraveled because I think another writer wouldn't even have written it. Julie Power, for me, is the character that is always destined to have stories off panel. <laughs> you know, she's like, she, oh, even their relationship, their relationship was all off panel. <laughs> like, we never ever really saw it. We saw a kiss here or there or whatever, but I'm so grateful that Rainbow wrote that story and they, you know i know they they weren't together and, and i do agree that nico and carolina are always the, the ones that deserve to be together but i'm so glad that they that she gave the time for that story and then obviously you know julie got her own story with um uh oh ricky which i'm, I'm happy for but i really like nico's jealousy what yeah. happened i said no i said i really liked future foundation me too. I'm so upset that it oh, ended the, as early as it did. Um, I'm really enjoying the current Power Pack series, and if, even if they're not really dealing with um, Julie as a main character, but um, they, they do reference her relationship, and they re- reference her bisexuality, and that was a fear I had that they wouldn't even reference it, because mm-hmm. again, the, it's the girl who's destined to have everything off panel. Uh, but yeah, going back to even Nico, Nico from the last issue of Runaways is still jealous of Julie, which I think is so interesting. She's always making these little faces and I love it. It's so interesting. I, I would like this. What I thought was would have been a really interesting future foundation story. And I wish they could have done it was like, because, you know, the they're traveling space. If if Julie came face to face with Zavin and yes. saw like Carolina's face, yes. like that would have been awesome. <laughs> no, I, I love the idea of Julie and Zavin. First, I don't know why, but I love the idea of them. And I think a lot of it, they, they deserve better, and they could find it in each other. <laughs> and honestly, like Carolina, she treats them both like crap, and I don't even think she realizes she's doing it. But no, she definitely does. Something that, you know, affects me, you know, not affects me, but something that uh, strikes me very heavily is the fact that eventually Zavin goes into a full gender crisis because, um, you know, they know that Carolina is attracted to women. 
So they take a female presenting form when they're with Carolina, but they take a male presenting form when they're in battle because, you know, they think it makes them look more intimidating as, you know, a really big guy. And Zavin expresses, I think it's to Molly at one point, that they don't know who they are anymore. And, you know, this is really a time, you know, between 03 and 09, gender really wasn't a huge conversation. I mean, non-binary gender fluidity or gender fluid, it wasn't a really big conversation at the time. And, you know, Brian K. Vaughn has always kind of pushed ahead of that a little bit. And what I do like to remind people is that it's handled as well as it can be for the time it's written. Brian Kavon. Yeah, at least there was a platform, right? Like that, yeah. there was no story like that. This was everything has to start somewhere. And and I think Brian Kavon's biggest problem is that he's very timely. That his books hit the hardest in the time that they're written in. Because, you know, Saga picked up towards the end of the Iraq War. So there's a lot of, you know, anti-war commentary there that, you know, if you're picking up Saga today, you might miss out on that. And, you know, in the early issues of Runaways, it's, you know, teenagers navigating this, you know, post 9-11 world that, you know, it was super scary at the time. And hell, even in Why the Last Man, we were seeing a lot of that, too. So he's very timely and sometimes in accordance with modern standard, it doesn't always age well, but it has never been malicious that he wasn't. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. And unfortunately I think sometimes people don't see that because I've, you know, I've had friends read runaways and then they come back to me and say, I think Zavin was handled really poorly. And I'm like, you have to keep in mind the time of when this was written and you know, BKV was in purely um, new territory. Like he had a machete and that was about it, trying to hack through this jungle. And, uh, oh God, I'm losing my train of thought. I told you that this was going to be a problem for me. (laughs) James isn't here to corral me back in line. Well, I mean, one thing I I think, uh, did we want to touch a little bit more on, one thing I wanted to talk about is, I guess Nico's bisexual journey in <laughs> regard of, I mean, right? The, the the saga of all of it. Like, do you feel like Rainbow um, handled uh, the the coming out or the, the idea of them being together uh, well? I do. I think she did handle it very well because there's in the first six issues, I think it's either three or four, that Carolina goes to see Nico. Because, um, you know, it's an issue three where they go to try and track down Carolina because they're trying to get everybody back together. And Carolina has a moment like Gert has come back from the dead, but she has a bigger reaction to seeing Nico. And I think that is just peak lesbian drama. <laughs> Very true. It's like, oh, wait, Peppers was dead. My, my family member is dead, but oh, Nico's back. Uh, and I love the, the symbolism, too, because I mean, Rainbow is just like a... The mug, yeah. <laughs> it was so good. There's so many memorable moments there. But I agree. I think it was done really well. I mean, I guess the conversation for people are like, was it for just for fan service? I'm like, no. That her bisexuality has always been built up. Just like, just saying. Like, I, for anyone who doesn't see that, that's on them. 
But yeah, uh, yeah that's always been a buildup. I do think that it needs to be mentioned more. And I think her journey as a bisexual needs to be explored more because it yeah. is a different journey than Carolina being a lesbian. And I don't think we get a lot of bisexual representation in that regard oh, God. a lot. By any means, I mean, again, the only character I can really think of is Julie, and I don't even think they've done her perfectly at all, yeah. um, actually, but I think they at least try to touch on her bisexuality at points. But yeah, I think that's necessary to say, yeah, it is a different experience, and I don't think we've actually gotten that with Nico. No. And the two points that I really appreciated is that um, in the issue where Carolina goes to see her, Nico pulls in Nico and tries to kiss her. And Carolina's like, stop, I have a girlfriend. And, you know, sidebar, that's something I've always appreciated about Carolina is that um, she, if she is in a relationship, she does not cheat. Like, sure, mm-hmm. she's in love with Nico, but she doesn't, you know, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on, but she never physically cheats. And I appreciate that. And <clears throat> I, I think to a degree that scene, you know, kind of Carolina knows a little bit. But it's like, you know, but you don't because she just looks at Nico and says, why do you always do this? Like, why are you doing this to me? And Nico can't say the words. She just says, I don't know. And she actually holds off until that, you know, until Julie um, does break up with Carolina and she does it for her own good. And honestly, you know, jumping back to Julie, I think Julie was owed that, that it shouldn't have been because she's my favorite member of the power pack. Me too, by far. And I love the Power Pack, and I love all of them, but Julie's up up there. (laughs) And it was nice to kind of see her, you know, yes, she broke her own heart doing it, but she did it on her terms for her own well-being. And and it's very much in character. One thing I'll say is that, and so far everyone, like, who recently have written Julie knows Julie's voice, because she has a very distinct voice, as the older sister, and, and as, like, but then she's also still a young adult and still trying to figure stuff out. And I thought Rainbow wrote her perfectly. Like, she had she her head on her shoulders, but she's going through something really emotional, and she allows it to happen. And going back to even Julie's bis- uh, bisexuality, one thing I do like as well is that they actually, in the loners, they, they hint her her journey of being bisexual really well as well um i always love julie and i think she deserves more (laughs) (laughs) but i think one of the things i have appreciated most about nico's bisexual saga is that at no point has rainbow shied away from her relationship with victor is that Mm -hmm. it was for a long time that nico was in a relationship with victor mancha and obviously they're no longer together. Uh, Victor and Gert are together currently, much to the drama, you know, much to Chase's chagrin. But, you know, there have been multiple references to the fact that Victor and Nico used to date. And so I appreciate that, you know, yes, we've been building up this relationship with Carolina this entire time, but there have been references to Victor being her ex-boyfriend. And they're still friendly, but there's kind of that wall of separation between them from time to time. That, you know, it's they're not quite there yet because Victor was also dead. The runaways like to die a lot. They love to die. They, they all love it. Um, I think Carolina and Molly are like the only ones that haven't. <laughs> yeah, because Chase has, Nico has... Um, yeah, Victor, Alex, Gert, like everybody's just died at one point. And Caroline is like on a ledge right now with what's going on with her. So, and she's the, on the verge. 
And the issue where they get together, nothing happens in the issue. It's just a bunch of relationship crap, and I love it. I think we need more issues like that. Filler issues are some of my favorite. But me too. I think they get a they they get a bad rap, but I you know sometimes you have some like like the big moment with Doc Justice. It's like okay, that was a really big arc. Sometimes you just need to slow things down and just talk about character, especially in a book like Runaways, which is all about character. Oh yeah. And I do love that, you know, while Nico held back during the relationship, you know, Carolina and Julie are broken up for about 34 seconds before Nico slides her way in. (laughs) And what I appreciate is that, you know, Nico has issues. She also has her own issues reading situations and she very much pushes down her own emotions. And in that issue, she has this big speech where she tells Carolina, look, I was afraid before. And if you will give me a second chance, you know, I want to be with you. And, you know, she has that moment of hesitation where it looks like she's going to balk again. But Carolina's just kind of like, great, you fucking did this to me again. And Nico's like, wait a minute, hold the fuck up. And she throws herself at her. But the fact that Nico actually acknowledged her emotions. And said, you know, look, yes, I'm afraid, but I want to be with you. Which, traditionally, processing emotions is not something that we've seen Nico do a lot of before. Because she's under a tremendous amount of stress almost constantly. Yeah, she's the mother hen right now. She's taking everything. And she's the leader. Um, someone she doesn't want to be. You know, she doesn't even want this role. But she's like, all right, I guess the only one who fits it. So I'll do it. Um, yeah, I, and, and I think that that's such a big moment is I'm glad it wasn't, you know, Carolina trying like, all right, come on, Nico, we know you, you, you like me. Uh, so it was, it was Nico pushing herself and I think Rainbow has done a beautiful job with their relationship and I'm glad even with all the crazy stuff that's gone on in the book and all the kind of more superhero stuff, they do, she does take the time to, uh, write that relationship and, mm-hmm. and make it organically fit within the story and it is a, a, an important part of the story. Because I think it's uh, during the uh, it's at the very beginning of the Doc Justice arc where Carolina wants to go out and be a superhero and Nico's like, ugh, fine, I guess. And they're sitting in the coffee shop and they're having a conversation and it's just the cutest damn thing in the world. And, you know, Nico's like, look, I just wanted to hang out with you tonight. And so, you know, it, it's a very gentle, but at the same time, very loving relationship. And I, I am a little worried because with Pixie and Pixie needs to step the fuck off because I've been waiting a really long time for this because when it finally happened, I just looked at the issue and I went fucking finally like 13 year slow burn. Like I love slow burns, but I don't think they need to be 13 years long. <laughs> no, that's a little bit too long. And then also like the big worry about like the drama is just that we don't know how long we're going to have this series for. Like if yeah. we're being honest and even Rainbow's been non honest about it, like please buy this book because I think are decent, but I think they're probably going to get to a hundred just so they can do the big hundredth issue of Runaways overall. And um, that's coming up very soon. So from BKV's number one to whatever Rainbow's hundred, you know, issue would be, it will be a hundred Runaway issues. And so I think after that point, I think then the book is really in trouble. Oh, yeah. And, you know, one thing I think they should do, and, you know, the market's changing. 
make it a graphic novel series. Make yeah. it that it just comes out every year or whatever. Make it six issues. Stop selling the floppies. They don't do well. Fine. We don't. I'm, uh, I love floppies, but I don't need it if I'm going to get more runaway story. Yeah. Just get it in, in a way that sells better. Or use other platforms. Do stuff like Webtoons. You know how people read runaways on Webtoons? Right. It's a, it's, a, it's a teenage book. It's, you know, a slice of life aspects to it. Like, just find another place for a, a franchise I think that will do you well and obviously showed even with the Hulu show, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like, people like this, this book. And it's just, they do so much cool stuff with it. I'd say the one aspect that's largely missing is uh, racial commentary because the people of color in the cast, you know, there's Victor, Nico, and Alex. There's not a lot of... It just, it doesn't seem like there are enough POC characters to fully explore that dynamic because Zavin, but you know, both when uh, they present as guy or they present as a girl, they're um, uh, they are black. So I think that added an interesting dynamic, but it also sets a really awkward precedent for their black characters that one of them is an evil genius and the other one gets yeeted into space. I think a big thing also is that we have had a lot of white people yeah. write for the comic. And I mean, I still want Rainbow to write this comic. I think she does a great job. But why not do like a little side story with, you know, Nico or whatever? Yeah. Give Nico a miniseries. You know, let's explore these characters in a different way and, and have a person of color write them. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and something I've noticed kind of like with comics across the board is that, you know, Asian stories don't get explored very deeply a lot. And, you know, it's a lot of, like, sometimes they, you know, sometimes they do, but it tends to be really surface level, and particularly with a character like Nico. And now that the staff of one runs so deeply in her family, I would really kind of like to see that history explored. We got... I think that's a miniseries. That's a comic (laughs) right there, and I feel like people would buy a Nico comic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's a huge fan favorite. Especially, like, I mean... Especially people promise that Carolina's gonna be in it and it'll be like a romance book as well. Oh, that that thing yeah. will sell off the charts. Oh yeah. Uh, a friend of mine said they need to bring back A Force and just kind of like have Carolina pop up every couple of issues to do cute couple crap and I'm like, take my money. Just I will throw yeah. money at someone. And it's interesting too, because I mean, we have Marvel Pride coming up. Uh, we have the anthology, and I'm sure, I mean, we know Carolina and Nico are going to have a story in it, but I'm sure they're going to have a big story in it. So it's like you, you do have anthologies with this, but like after Pride, what are you going to do? Well, how are we going to get these stories? Like, why can't we just get a gay slice of life book? Why can't Marvel release that? I think people would buy it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm about to threaten Marvel and DC both. Like, come on, give me something like exactly something monthly anything anything that's all (laughs) that's why that's why i miss bombshell so damn much is because i i don't know in terms of like you know sapphic women i don't know if a book can get gayer than that have you ever read bombshells i have i haven't read it all the way through but i've read definitely enough issues to know how gay it is and it's great and it's awesome and yeah, I do miss books like that. I do miss going to the... And I'm, obviously we do have Runaways, but sometimes, like, you know, last issue, we didn't even get Carolina in the issue, which is fine because it's a Runaways book. It's not a Carolina Nico book. But, like, yeah, I want to go to the comic book store once a month and be like, oh, this is going to be gay. 
I'm excited to read this. <laughs> so far, I think at this point, I think the, the only books that I have that I can do that with are Runaways and New Mutants because Karma, the new mutant that no one likes, is my favorite Marvel character of all time. So and they're they're definitely not shown enough. No, God, no. Just give me because Vita Ayala is writing um, New Mutants right now. So like I'm lighting candles in hopes that maybe they will let. Uh, karma like just to have a girlfriend or acknowledge that she's gay <laughs> yeah they don't they really don't talk about it but yeah even again we go back to kitty pride who mm-hmm. kissed the girl and you're like oh okay cool we're gonna get this she's gonna be with rachel she's gonna be with iliana who knows she'll be with emma nothing's happening i'm like oh my god and and then like i look at stuff like i know this is maybe just my head canon but like spider gwen um we have a, a bisexual writer writing uh, was writing spider gwen and he's like, oh, there's so much tension between Mary Jane and Gwen, and they don't do anything with that either. It's just like, oh, come on. Just give me something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, taking Runaway's uh, LGBTQ narratives, why don't we kind of transition into Hulu's adapt- uh, live-action adaptation of The Runaways? And a lot of that, because the show had three seasons, um... Uh, I think it ended 2019. Yes. Yeah, it ended like somewhat recently. It was before the pandemic, so it was probably 2019 because it was right before the whole Disney Plus stuff. That's the reason it got canceled. If if that didn't happen, I definitely think we would have season four. Oh, absolutely. And um, I know they found out that it got canceled as they were filming the last two episodes, so they had to, yeah they had to do drastic rewrites to kind of and the finale like the last 10 seconds of the finale it's so open-ended that you're like okay we'll see in season four wait fuck it is but also the one thing i appreciate is that it was it gave me enough this okay this was an ending you know because you had the whole future stuff that you got to see and like okay i got to i got to see it end and i loved runaways and i i'll just say that now i mean yes i was a fan of the comic but uh, i i absolutely loved it and i think it was a show that actually grew with every season like i really liked season oh, one i was like oh, some of the plot was a little clunky even though i love these characters um and then season two okay that was solid and then season three i'm like this was the best season ever and then it ends <laughs> in season three it, it, they just went full comic book in season three and that's why yeah, I, and it was great. I loved it so much. It's kind of like they opened up the comic books and just dumped it into the script. The only thing I really didn't like about season one is that I felt like they tried to make it too grounded in reality, if that makes any sense. I would. Yeah, and I think that's why season two and season three worked better. Because like once they run, ran away, it's like, oh. but I also like that they built the characters. Oh, I, I don't I, I didn't love Molly. I think that was probably the only character I didn't love in the show. Um, but I thought everyone else was really, really strong, and and I feel like they very much. I mean, just we'll go to the characters we want to talk about: Nico and Carolina. Um, they were so good. I, there were some times in season one, like I didn't. I liked Carolina's coming out story, but there were mm-hmm. times where like Gert was really pushing it. I'm like, oh, Gert wouldn't do that, you know. And it's just like that was kind of insensitive to Carolina, who was like trying to come out. Um, but I really liked how Nico and Carolina got together. I thought that was great, and also screen time. Oh, there was so much screen time with them. That's like such a rarity to have that much screen time. They were the main characters of that show. Honestly, they, they absolutely were. I mean, hell, the entire plot of season three is really hinged on their relationship. And I think... They the, had a wedding. Yeah. 
And um, something that I really appreciated most about the show, and this includes like the actual kids themselves and the parents, is the casting. The cast mm-hmm. was perfect. Lyrica Ocano and um, Virginia Gardner, they, they were perfect as Nico and Carolina. And it just the, all of the other actors whose names elude me at the moment. It's just the casting was so good and they really fell in love with these characters because I'd watched some interviews and behind the scenes stuff and they all read as much as they could. And, um, you know, I got pretty, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fandom junkie, so I got pretty deep into it. And, you know, I like to scroll through the actors' social media and whatnot just to see what they're talking about. And, you know, they would make references on their personal accounts to the most recent Rainbow Rowell issue that had come out. There are actually nods to Rainbow Rowell's run in the show. Like, Yeah, the whole Julie ending was definitely a nod. And um, there's a scene in season three when they're off in the magical land and Nico's answer there. And it was Judith and Tokiko. And those are both the names of um because uh, there's grandma judy in the comic book nico's made a few references to her and then tokiko is the ancestor who formed the staff of one so those are just little tiny mentions to that in um in the show and you know those are elements that rainbow herself created so it's really fun to see them work in as much as they can and i think it's such a shame that I think because we have Miss Marvel, I, I do think that's yeah. probably the reason why they they're like, okay, we have a teen show that's going to be diverse as well. Um, if they utilize Miss Marvel's supporting cast, as I hope they do, because I am also a huge Zoe fan. So, um, have you have you read Miss Marvel? I, I have read a lot of Wilson stuff, but I haven't read what is it, Magnificent Miss Marvel? I haven't read that. It wasn't as strong of a volume as obviously Wilson's. But yeah, Zoe, I absolutely adore her coming out story. I absolutely adore her um, character arc of, of how she comes out and how she changes as a person. So I really hope Miss Marvel, the TV show, does that. Cause I feel like that's a character like not many people, maybe me, you. There's like probably a handful of people even know her name. Yeah. So I'm hoping they do something with her. I think that's such a special story that still needs to be told. And oh, in yeah. some a similar vein to Carolina's story, like a, a you know a different character, but like a femme character who's trying to figure out herself. And and that representation is still important too. I mean, any queer representation is important, but oh, yeah. I think you know people being able to see themselves. It's, I I love that. So, anyways, going back to the whole runaway thing, I wish. It come back. I don't. Maybe there'll be a reference here and there, just because the Young Avengers are coming for sure. So oh, yeah. like, why not bring in the Runaways? Like, why well, you know? Like, come on. And um, my God, the Hulu show. I I just want to get this out. It's so fucking gay. Like they just. Okay. Kind of, and the funny thing is, is that a lot of people um uh, during Rainbow Rowell's Runaways number twelve is when Nico and Carolina get together because of course I know that off the top of my head. Uh, there are there are a lot of people that actually accused the comic um, doing that to be, to synergize with the show, and the showrunners and Rainbow herself came out and basically said no. Rainbow said it was in my original pitch before the show had even been announced. That you know, and are you surprised by that? Because like, if you're like reading from the issue one, you know that's what yeah. they were setting up to. Oh yeah. 
And it's, you know, she said, look, even before, you know, the original pitch I made to Marvel, even before we workshopped everything, that was in the pitch is that I would put them together. And she said, I haven't even seen the show. She said that she's not going to watch the show until she's done on the book because she doesn't want elements of the show to influence what she's doing. And I can respect that. But at the same time, like they referenced your stuff and you should watch it. Oh, yeah, especially at this point. Yeah. This is over. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I, I thought that Nico and Carolina were handled very well. It was a subversion of the scene where um, Carolina does come out because, you know, it's in the end of season one where, you know, Carolina is still stupid in love with Nico and Nico's just kind of like having her thing with Alex. So I like that we do still get to see both sides of her bisexuality. And I, yeah, I, I, I honestly, in some regards, did a better job maybe in the show yeah. than the comics and bisexuality aspect. And you know, the end of her relationship with Alex was very believable because she's like, You fucked up, no thank you. And you know, Carolina kind of pulls her off to the side. I think you know, they're masquerading at a school dance and leans in to kiss her. And Nico, she kind of pulls back a little bit and then she just goes for it. And so, well, the the acting between those two actors, just from like, uh, like the what I loved from season one, honestly, all all their stuff is just their facial expression said it all. Like the the cutesiness of their stuff, like the second time that Caroline, uh, Carolina, Nico kisses, and like how happy she is about it. I just, I love, I love their acting. It's so good. It's so good. And the the chemistry just between the entire cast, it it it, I think that actually made the show a lot more enjoyable is that, you know, you could tell that this was a functioning chemistry. And I, I know there was some drama behind the set, like behind the scenes, but there's always drama behind the scenes with every show. But even if there were problems, they never brought that to the screen. I didn't even know they were. <laughs> I, I think it's just typical actor drama. It happens with every show and every movie, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and like you said, either way, it didn't show. And I think they promoted the show very well on their, like, social medias. And they interacted with each other to do so. So, um, yeah, it is just such a great, beautiful show. I'm glad we got three seasons of it. I know I wish I had more. But from beginning to end, it was a good show. And I I could go back to it five years later and still enjoy it. And I think that's important. Again, Marvel, it's Marvel. I really think there's an opportunity for them to reference it if one of the actors is interested to come come back. Oh, and I, I think any or all of them would in a heartbeat. Yeah, I don't I don't see it be like, oh no, I can't do that. They all seem very uh, attached to the characters. I oh. think the only character that would probably have a reason to be there, maybe two. I want to say Carolina just because she is a queer character. You know, yeah. Marvel's been getting a lot of heat for not having a lot of queer characters. And everyone forgetting that she's the first MCU queer character. Uh, and then Nico. I think yeah. Nico would probably be the one character that would show up and, and actually have something to do. Because we're getting very close to the original A-Force team. That, you know, Tatiana mm-hmm. Maslany is going to be She-Hulk. And I'm still very excited about that. Like, Me too, yeah. People are like, oh, this is great for her career. And I'm like, no, this is great for Marvel. She is just brilliant. I, I was in She-Hulk as a character. <laughs> Hopefully oh, yeah. she gets more to do after I think a lot of people are gonna fall in love with Jen, who's a, a great mm-hmm. character. I, I'm a huge fan of Orphan Black, so I'm a I'm kind of a Maslani fangirl. But um 
So we're getting very close to the original lineup. I think, honestly, the only people that we're missing in the MCU is Dazzler and Singularity. And, you know, we have Dazzler from the from the X-Men franchise. They've stuck her in for yeah. like 30 seconds. So like a very know, small like, reference. Just, I'm I'm on board with, you know, just bringing her over if it means that we get an A4 show. I love to see that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's definitely possible with the type of shows we have now. And also Dazzler, that girl doesn't get enough love. I love Dazzler two pieces. So and much. I think there, there hasn't been a writer that has done anything with her, you know? And I think there's just such a tap potential to write a really awesome book with Dazzler. I think Mags Visaggio had a, like a one shot not too long ago that it was just a Dazzler one shot. It was it was all right, but I think there's. Just- I remember being somewhat forgettable. I don't remember yeah. anything about it, just besides that the one shot existed, and I was very excited. And then when I read it, I was like, "Oh, okay, that was fine." <laughs> yeah, it's not one of those books that you're gonna like re-reference. But um, the actual plot of the Hulu show does depart from the comics a little bit. But I know Brian K. Vaughn was involved with uh, the show. And I think for season one, he's, I remember reading something where he said that this is a lot of what he originally wanted to do with the book. So, and I don't mind the changes because I think if it's yeah. an adaptation, you want to have somewhat some changes. And again, I know season one was a little slow, but you got to know the characters because of it. And I think season two and season three were so strong because you you spent that time in season one. So I don't mind it that they didn't run away right away. Uh, I actually, I, in some regards, I kind of liked it. Oh, I just I love that scene at the very end of season one where you know I think it's Alex who just says run and you know you've got this shot of them running down the alley and like it, it was just so perfect of a shot. Uh, season two, I'd say of the three, it's probably my least favorite of the three, but yeah. I still really enjoyed it. And season three is absolutely coconuts. Like it is just bonkers out there. And it's perfect because it's just the amount of Runaways weirdness that we expect in the comics. And what's interesting about the show, too, is that the parents are still around. So, yeah. And they're not, I guess, the one negative of Runaways, and it, you know, it did what it had to do for the comic, is that the, the parents are two-dimensional. Oh, they're yeah. just kind of there, right? I, they're just villains to attack. But these parents, you're like, oh, they're people. And... I do appreciate in the comics, like, they're generically laughably evil on purpose. But I did like the subversion that came in the show that, you know, we got to know the parents. Just some, I think some episodes, the parents had more screen time. Especially in season one. Oh, yeah. Considering what the second episode is just the first episode from the parents' perspective. Mm-hmm. And that was super interesting. And yeah, it, it's kind of cool once you get to season three, there's even some like allyship. Like once you get to Carolina's mom, like she's pregnant and they like keep her in the hostel. And like that wouldn't happen in, in the comics. Ooh. It's kind of interesting to see like the different sides, the different, um, they you know, kept switching sides at some point. I think one of the biggest, the show that I wanted to touch on was the fact that, you know, they did do Zavin in the show. But mm-hmm. there were issues because Zavin couldn't be a scroll. And from what I understand, it was they were explicitly told Zavin cannot be a scroll. We want them for Captain Marvel. 
And ironically, with Dark Phoenix on the Fox side of the Marvel spectrum, that's where they ran into trouble as well with Dark Phoenix. Because Jessica Chastain has later said, no, we were supposed to be scrolls. But, you know, Disney pulled some shenanigans and they wanted the scrolls for Captain Marvel. So they had to pull some weirdness with Zavin. And we didn't get as much, really, if any, of Zavin's non-binary nature. Like, it was there, but it wasn't... They didn't really do anything with it. And the actress is... uh, Well, the actor portraying Zavin is a woman. I do believe they're cis. She's cis. I'm not 100% certain. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. But um, they do a good job with it. But... Nico and Carolina are already as together as they're going to be when Zavin pops up. And I do like that we get to see a lot of Nico's jealousy because jealous Nico is best Nico. <laughs> and she's jealous a lot. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially when it has to do with her girl, Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Zavin was a solid arc. You know, I think they did as much as they could. And I liked how they did the love story because it wasn't yeah. really a love story. And I, I honestly really thought they tied that together very well. I think that they handled Zavin's departure a hell of a lot better in the show than they did in the books. That they gave Zavin yeah. an actual Not much of competition. Purpose. Yeah. <laughs> But um, one kind of an honorable mention of season three is goddamn Elizabeth Hurley as Morgan Le Fay. I loved it so much. I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Hurley. And you can tell she just had so much fun with it. And a lot- Yeah, she, she was such a cool villain. I, I keep forgetting how great season three was. But even when uh, Cloak and Dagger came, and I don't even watch that oh, show, and I'm like, oh, oh am I really going to really care about this? I'm like, that's cool. Um, but, you know, they do the obligatory crossover with Cloak and Dagger, which was running on ABC. I think it's Freeform now. Freeform, yeah. I was gonna say, I was gonna say ABC Family, too. I'm like, wait, it's called someone else now. Yeah, but, um, in the comics, there is a pretty lengthy arc where Cloak and Dagger crossover with the Runaways. And they do team up for a while. And, you know, when both shows were running, people are kind of like, okay, are we going to get the crossover? Because it happened in the comics. And we have both shows here. And they made brief references to events happening in Runaways in Cloak and Dagger. I thought Cloak and Dagger was doing a lot of really cool stuff. But... um, Yeah, another shame. Again, I didn't get to watch all of it. It was another shame that mm -hmm. it got canned because all the Disney Plus stuff. Again, we're getting some awesome stuff on Disney Plus and whatever. But And and there are, as we've seen with WandaVision, there's opportunities for crossover. But it's still Mm -hmm. a shame that these shows that were so good, why can you go on Disney Plus? Why not? Right. But when they dropped the trailer for season three and Cloak and Dagger pop up in the trailer, I lost my goddamn mind. I'm like, yes, it's happening. I feel like I'm 16 again. (laughs) And it was really funny, you know, just looking at the fandom, going on Reddit, you know, doing the basic fandom stuff and seeing a lot of, you know, teenagers, we're talking like 13 to 17, really getting into the show and wanting to explore the comic books. And I think Runaways may have been a really... effective example of how a show can pull in comic readers new readers and you know i worked in a comic book store for a long time and i can tell you for certain that movies don't sell comics they really don't 
be coming into the store after seeing, you know, insert Marvel or DC film here, wanting to read a comic book and I give it to them and, you know, they'll come back a week later going, I didn't like it. You know, it wasn't what the movie was. So like, I didn't know anything of what was happening. And it, it's a pretty well-documented problem because other comic shop workers and owners in the area would say the same thing. That, you know, you would think when a new Marvel movie is coming out, you'd have people running into the store to buy comics. And yeah, that's, and, and honestly, I think it's the industry needs true. to do a better job at but that I think conversion, you know, because there's, there's, there's potential mm-hmm. readers that I'm, I'm sure there's a gateway they'd be able to do it. But like you just said, the runaways. And, and because Rainbow's uh, story, her book is going on at the same time, hopefully that helped. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just because there were so many thematic elements that was carried over into that were, excuse me, grammar, that were carried over into the show that, you know, it's the same tone. And I think that's a big problem with comic adaptations is that the tones are not the same. And another really good example I want I like to throw out is Doom Patrol. And I, I know that's, you know, we're crossing over to DC, but I think Doom Patrol is another example of what happens when an adaptation keeps the same tone and theme from the actual comics. Because Doom Patrol, the show, and Doom Patrol, you know, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, especially, you know, post-Morrison, um, they line up really well. And I want to see more of that. Yeah. Where, you know, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that it's interesting because a lot of times, like, you know, outside perspective, like, you know, people know I write comics and read comics and they're like, you know, like, do you love the movies? I'm like, they're fine. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I, they're, you know, I'll watch them, but they're, they're just action movies, you know, they're, they're not comics. And then I think the only time I've ever really seen, and maybe this is more a movie side, uh, the only time I've ever really seen a comic on stream was into the Spider-Verse and that's because it was animated, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a lot of, I, I sometimes get a question like, oh, what's your favorite superhero movie? I'm like, in the Spider-Verse. Like, oh, why? It's like, because that's a comic. Oh, absolutely. And I love the way they played with the, with like, um, you know, it looking like a comic. It, that's, it's such a good movie. Oh, yeah. And, and you could, and it goes back to the comic book store thing. Like, you can actually recommend the comic and they probably would yeah. like it. Spider-Gwen is exactly like Spider-Gwen. Miles Morales you give the whole Prowler arc. You'll enjoy it. You'll give, yeah. uh, you know, the Venom arc of, of Miles Morales. There's there's so much you can get from there. And I like to say that, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is the only honest-to-God comic book movie. Because I think they played, 100%. they played so much with the presentation and scene transitions that, you know, it's a, it's a comic book, but it's just animated. And I thought they did that so well. And they handled the multiverse idea probably better than Marvel and DC will. Like in, in their oh, yeah. movies. Because, you know, Flashpoint's going to bring in the DC multiverse to the movies. Granted, the CW has been doing it for a long time now. But, you know, DC is about to bring it in with flash and then i think with this other spider-man doctor strange movie the mcu is going to start playing around with their multiverse but i think into the spider-verse just lays it out so clearly so and i'm excited I'm for sorry. more in that regard. yeah i i latch on to any threat once i get going i get going <laughs> But um, looking at the agenda, is there anything in particular about the comics or the show 
that you want to touch on? Because um, we've touched on most of the stuff that I laid out, but I want to make sure that, you know, you have time to talk about something that, you know, you're really passionate about when it comes to this book. I think we talked about the big stuff, the Hulu show. Uh, honestly, the big thing for me was Carolina and Nico. Like, I, I think that's, you know, something that really drew me to the comic and continues to draw me to the comic. And uh, I guess the one thing I'll just say is read Rainbow's, uh, Rainbow's Run. I, you know, it, it really is such a sequel um, to Brian K. Vaughn's book. And in some ways, comparable to it. Like, I, I, I there's a lot of times I you know, oh, it, nothing's ever better than the original. And I, I don't know if Rainbow's better than the original, but I think it's on par with the original, in my opinion. And, and, and you know, I agree. And um, in my opinion, sometimes some issues get real close to being just a shade better than an issue that BKV wrote, you know? Mm-hmm. That- Especially the filler issues, I'll say. Maybe the, I will say the thing is that Brian K. Vaughn was better at plot in yes. some regards. Like the bigger, the bigger scope stuff. But Rainbow is better at the character stuff yes absolutely character work is her bread and butter but you know personally for me i like that she's kind of bringing that deconstructionist uh um uh that deconstructionist uh, element back to the runaways because you know bkv really liked to have fun with you know tearing down the teen superhero thing and rainbows brought that back particularly with the doc justice arc because doc justice is batman like, he's a super dickish form of Batman, even down to the multiple dead sidekicks. And I really appreciated kind of her playing with the, okay, you know, sure, you know, in when we're dealing with Batman and Robin, we see, like, they want to be superheroes too, but let's look at the actual strain of teenagers being superheroes in service to this mysterious figure. And something I do appreciate is that... Um, when Brian K. Vaughn was writing Runaways at the same, uh, like 2003, 2004, I believe he was writing Batman at the same time. So there are actually multiple Batman jokes in Brian K. Vaughn's original run that um, when they're finding the hostel in one of the caves, the hostel's an underground hotel, which I would stay at an underground hotel. I don't know about you, but I think that would be a lot of fun. I think I think at least it's something different. It's an experience. One thing I also appreciate that he always references, nothing to do with comics, but he always references the Beatles. Yes. Always appreciate that. <laughs> right oh. down to Carolina's name. Lucy in the sky. Yeah. But, you know, so there are multiple Batman jokes. You know, they're like, oh, is this the caves where they shot that old Batman TV show? And I think my favorite part is when they're in New York and Spider-Man swoops down and Victor's like, oh, my God. And Spider-Man's like, yes, I'm Batman. But in Rainbow's Run, she refers to something as somebody's kryptonite that, you know, they're bringing along Old Lace to fight this immortal 13-year-old girl because Runaways. And she's like, and Grit's like, who knows, maybe dinosaurs are her kryptonite. And so getting those cutesy little references that were fan service in the original run, getting that back now, it's just a lot of fun. And I think Rainbow's attention to detail is really par none at this point. Oh, 100%. There's just so many layers. Like, if you read one issue, you can read three times and find something different. Also, another thing, let's respect the art team as well, because, I mean, you have um, Chris Inca, but then you have um, and, uh, Andre, Andre, right? That's Andreas, um, who's doing the art now, who did a really good job at, you know, giving their own style. 
matching Chris's facial expression. Oh, so and being able to look like it, it actually looks consistent in that, especially for a very, it's a longer run for a, mm -hmm. a, a modern Marvel comic, and it all looks consistent besides maybe one issue. There's a different artist. Yeah, I think it is you talking about the ones where the Gaborum first come back. Yeah, yeah, which I didn't love the art for that, but I was not a fan. But the fact that when Andreas came in to take over for Chris Anka, um, you know, Anka was very, um, very into the fashion of it. So, you know, you would see, you know, Nico and Carolina and Gert and Chase wearing these really cool outfits. And you worked so hard on the fashion. I mean, my God, those dresses alone for issue 12. Oh, yeah. And it was really nice to see Andreas kind of keep up with that. I mean, we're talking the hairstyles, facial expression, the clothing, but still adding his own elements to it. I honestly wish all artist transitions were this smooth and enjoyable. But I've never seen a transition this smooth, ever. I really cannot think of another comic that has done this. And I think the series that's on is third artist. I think we have a new artist coming in. I oh, really? I didn't even know that. I forget what her name is, but I know she's coming in, and I'm really hoping that she kind of keeps up with that, because Anka is still doing the cover art, and I at least appreciate that he did not leave the book completely. I think he loved the characters too much. Even though he's a very big man, uh, I think it is cool that he's doing the cover art and all that. But yeah, I, I, there's just so much respect for that that volume. It, it's just you know we all read a lot of comic books here, and and there and I've been you know we all and also I've been reading comic books for a very long time. Sometimes when you're getting in the grain of stuff, it's hard to get like you're going to the comic book store and you're like, oh my god, I literally can't wait for this book. I want to wake up the next morning to read this book. Like you know, I was like, okay, cool, Wednesday's here. If these are the comics I'm going to read, especially as you review books and. Sometimes you get to, a lot of times you get to read the books beforehand. So, um, but yeah, with with, uh, with Runaways, it's just like, all right, Wednesday's here. I'm really excited. I literally can't wait for the next day because Runaways is here. Same, honestly, same thing was for me for Paper Girls as well and any Brian K. Vaughn stuff. But yeah, it's a rarity. But Runaways is that one rarity, I would say right now, where I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait. Because I know even if it's a, a, a lower issue, I know it's going to be a great issue. And I just hate that it's on kind of like a two to three month schedule now. Yeah. But once we're getting it, I was like, I'm like, all right, we're getting issues. I'm okay. I can wait. <laughs> and it's just, I hate it when you like, because I read and, you know, when the new issue comes out, I read it and I blow through single issues way too fast. Like, I don't take my time. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then I get to the end and I'm like, shit, now I have to wait four years for the next one. <laughs> but. It is just a series that, you know, I fell in love with such a long time ago. And it it kind of goes off the rails a bit in later runs, like 2007 to 2009. The book just kind of, it goes way out there. And it's, you know, you see a lot of teen drama stereotypes and it, it gets a little weird. But it's really nice to see Rainbow's return to form. Uh, the way I like to describe it to people is that y you can read all of Brian K. Vaughn's stuff, you know, the first two years of the book, of the original book, and then shifting to Rainbow, it's a seamless transition. Oh, yeah, you really don't re need to read the middle stuff. I mean, maybe you want to read, like, oh, here's an issue of Eight Wars if you want to really get into uh -huh. Nico's story, or, you you know, maybe you want to read the Avengers Academy issue where Carolina and Julie get together. You don't need it. 
my recommendation is avoid Avengers Arena at all cost because that book causes me physical pain. And you don't, I would say you don't even need that, that book, like, to understand maybe the no. first issue, but not even. You just need to know that Nico loses her arm. Yeah. That's something, actually, that's something that Rainbow has done that I didn't like, is I don't like that Nico lost her witch arm. Because, you know, first of all, there's so few characters in comics that have, you know, prosthetic limbs and can still be superheroes. I mean, I think the biggest one I can think of in Marvel is Karma, because she lost her leg uh, during the extinction event for the X-Men. And so she has this dope as hell, like, super fancy metal leg. And so I I always thought that was really cool from the sense of... um, you know, having a prosthetic arm. There's actually a, a scene in A-Force where Nico's trying to get a cup of coffee. And I think it's Misty Knight that she runs into and they kind of have like a, mm-hmm. cool, a cool cybernetic arm moment. And so it's another like bit to her character. And granted, it is in the plot. And I think Nico's really about to become the center focus of this book because she's pretty much going to be possessed at this point. Yeah, they they uh and well they've been skirting around that for a long time too. It hasn't been something that has been an issue. That's been See, like my, twenty issues. <laughs> my prediction with that is that that's gonna be where Carolina drops the "I love you" because that's the one thing they haven't done yet. And oh, right, I, I honestly hadn't even noticed that <laughs> yeah, they haven't done the whole "I love you" thing yet. And because Rainbow posted something during the hiatus during the pandemic, I think this was when Diamond wasn't shipping anything. Um, She basically said, look, I really want to do this next arc because the character you want to come back comes back. You know, the characters you want to kiss, kiss. The characters you want to say, I love you, say, I love you. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, God, just give me this already. So I'm wondering. And that's really interesting if Zavin comes back and that's how it happens. Then it's like you're also closing old wounds. And I really want kind of a reconciliation between Zavin and Carolina because Zavin sacrificed their entire life to take Carolina's place. And I think Zavin genuinely was in love with Carolina. And that's part of what makes it so tragic is that Carolina wasn't in love with them. You know, Carolina wasn't in love with Julie. And I really kind of want to see Carolina be able to, like you said, close those wounds and make amends. No. I hope so. That'd be a great arc. And again, uh, Rainbow will do beautifully, I'm sure. Do you mind uh, indulging me for a moment? Yeah. Um, you yourself are bisexual, right? Yeah. Yep, I am. So I just kind of have a general question. And this is, you know, I'm a lesbian. So, you know, it's not something I can fully speak to or fully understand. But I can look at it from an academic perspective. Because I'm sure you've noticed I'm a bit of a (laughs) know-it-all. I try not to be too irritating about it. But something I have noticed with comics, and I think it's something that Runaways has handled very well, even with relation to Julie is the f- the unfortunate fact that bisexuality in comics has to be performative at times. That, you know, say, like, you have a character who is a bisexual woman, at some point, in order to, oh God, I hate saying this, prove it, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, that at some point she has to be in a relationship with a woman. Because, you know, take the example of Wonder Woman, where Wonder Woman is bisexual, we have had the confirmation of this during the Rucka Rebirth run, 
but at no point in the main book have we seen her do anything with women. A lot of sapphic fans, I mean, I've seen lesbians, bisexual women, pansexual women, get very frustrated with that. So my question to you is that do you think Runaways kind of handles that in a positive way? You know, address I, addressing Nico's body. I think so because of the whole Victor stuff. I I guess going into the root of what you were saying, I I do agree. I think a lot of times comics feel like they have to do that to represent bisexuality. But honestly, there's an easier way to do it. You just talk about your bisexuality. It doesn't matter. Uh, like that would be way too right? easy. That would be way too easy. easy. Like again, the reason I think Julie so far in the Marvel Universe, in my opinion, has been the best represented bisexual character. A, when she came out, she was allowed to say she's bisexual, that's mm -hmm. A. Um, and even though, like, as of right now, we've been seeing her only lean towards girls. We actually, I don't, we've never seen her in a relationship with a guy, which is totally fine. That doesn't, oh, you know, that's, that's not right. unvalidate her bisexuality, but she has to say it, right? She has to, yeah. and she has said it. Like, she's like, I'm bi, and, and like, just talk about it. Talk about the experience of being bi and and what how that's different of being gay and I and I think these characters don't tend to do it and I don't I don't think Nico's done it and that's the one irking I have it's like yes yeah, so, you know she's bi and he, there's confirmations of it again we go back to the kitty stuff where it's like yeah it's kind of confirmed she's bi but they've never really if you really want to dig deep they kind of haven't. So, but Nico 100% is bi. We know it because of, sadly, because only because of the male relationships. But yeah, I think that's what needs to be better is just like talk about bisexuality, talk about the experience of being bi and, and tell real bi stories. And, you know, you have bi creators out there. I mean, I know James, James Tynion's working for DC, but you have um, Cantwell, who's working for Iron Man right now. You have bisexual creators. Let them tell their stories as well. And, and, and I think that's the big thing. I have not really ever seen in comics and i think that needs to be fixed and that and that goes into like okay this person never has to date a girl like that's that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they're not bisexual they never have to date a guy that doesn't mean they're not bisexual it's just it has to be talked about yeah so sorry that's been something that's been ruminating in my head for a while and i was just curious as to what your opinion was i didn't really mean to put you on the spot and i'm sorry if i did no, I'm so happy you allowed me to talk about it. I mean, I, I always love talking about my bisexuality, so I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's an important thing, and I think it's something the media and comics in particular have not gotten right, in all honesty. They just haven't. I really, I as a bisexual, I don't have a character to really look up to, if I'm being honest. Like, who do I have? Harley Quinn? Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not what I want to look up. I don't want to look up to <laughs> Uh, so like who to like I really can't think of any other bi characters besides Julie, and yeah. I and 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 I don't even know her coming out was perfect because and and this is nothing bad or good but she she also shared her coming out experience with someone else and it was kind of like an afterthought in the, that regard because like yeah, I that, guess I'm bi. Is that the scene in uh, Avengers Academy? Yeah, it's with yeah. um what's Stryker? I think so. But something yeah. I also appreciated was that um, in Future Foundation, when she meets up with um, her brother again, she's just kind of like, okay, here's this thing. You know, I came out as bi and my girlfriend broke up with me. And he's like, ooh, that's rough. But, you know. I, and that's what I loved about, and again, Julie having good representation in that regard. She's allowed to say the word. Yeah. And I think, honestly, 
like all praise to Jeremy Whitley for that because if you look at his larger body of work, he has done fantastic things with queer representation. Particularly with women, I do think there is a dearth of like queer male characters, and I think that's something comics need to get better about. But I don't I agree. I don't know if you've ever read like Raven the Pirate Princess, which is a huge indie book Jeremy Whitley has done. And I've read pieces of it. I know he does like a lot of and also just Unstoppable Wasp. I have read oh, that. Yeah. And that's also a, he did a great job with that as well. Mm-hmm. So I always like to take time to point out non-queer creators that um, I suppose I could have just said straight. You know what I mean? That really bust their asses to get it right. I agree. And and you could tell, I don't want to go, I don't know how you feel about this coming out, but um, Iceman, like, I don't think that was done very well. And, and no. like, I do believe, I I, you know, I, I, I love that he's a gay character, but I, I don't think anyone's really handled him very well. And the no. coming out that he was outed and it's just like, okay. Um, and, and it was written by a straight guy, but then, yeah, then you get the differences of Brian K. Vaughn. Mm-hmm. wrote this really well-crafted story and, and and it shows that yeah straight characters i'm a straight character straight writers are allowed to write queer characters but please like allow do your research ask people <laughs> i remember um you talked about Iceman come or er, i'm using air quotes again coming out i was working at the comic book shop that had a shipping warehouse attached to it and i was in the warehouse and one of my coworkers, you know of course we'd stop to like flip through the comics for a minute just because we were all giant nerds one of my coworkers, he comes running up to me and he says, you're going to be pissed about this. And I said, what happened? And he puts the issue down on the table in front of me and I'm looking through it. And it's the scene where Jean's like, hey, guess what? You're gay. And oh my God, I just wanted to rip the book apart right then and there. Because like, not only was that incredibly invasive, I get like, I was forcibly outed. So I get very angry when I see something like that, because I know just how violating that feels. And, you know, the fact that he hadn't even made his peace with it yet, that it is, like, I will forever be angry about that coming out. And, you know, it it breaks down to a personal opinion that I don't think Bobby makes sense as being gay. I think... I don't don't know if I think he does too, but I see why other people do. Like, I respect why other people see him as gay and, and, and want him to be gay. But, um... I, again, I've always seen Kitty as bi. Like, that's like, oh, that's always been there. Bobby, maybe because I just wasn't as big of a fan of his. So I, I didn't see it, but that doesn't mean, you know, I, someone I think can't it, write it well. I think it would have worked better for me personally if he had been bisexual. I think, you know, looking at his history, it would have made it a bit easier to kind of transition that as opposed to, you know, he's a, a gay man that just came out you know, we're talking adult Bobby at this point. He's a gay man who came out much later. And obviously those stories are very much important where, you know, you have later in life, you know, gay people coming out. Uh, Maggie Sawyer. Look, Alan Scott. Alan Scott and Maggie Sawyer being big examples of that. Like, you know, look, gay people can come out whenever. I just thought it was very sloppily handled. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference. And, you know, I'm always a believer that, you know, people can write, different people's stories if like i just said if people do the research if 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 you're telling a a queer story and you're not queer find some queer people to make sure it's okay and and like this is an experience that they're going through and again brian k vaughn that he does that in stride 
I think mm-hmm. Jeremy Whitley does that in stride. And um, I hope we get to see more creators like that. And obviously more queer creators writing queer stuff at the same time as a queer creator myself. I don't want to only write queer stuff. Like I, you know, I want to write as much as I can. So I, I don't believe in pigeonholing, but I do believe in, in, in research. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just want more, like I'm using gay as an umbrella term, but I just want more gay stuff, you know, like. <laughs> 100%. I just feel like it's, it's so interesting because I, I read like manga and stuff like that. And I'll read like webtoons and stuff. They kind of get my gay fill sometimes. And uh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you have to wait like three months sometimes. Like, oh, all right, cool. I got one panel of that gay thing, you know, that I've been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, and, but then I got to wait another year to get that other gay thing. And we had more, uh, more actual gay comics. So I think we're at a point in the yeah. industry that there is an audience, you know, there's an audience for it. Um, even if it's not Marvel or DC, like, uh, well, I guess indie comics are kind of doing it, but, yeah. um, yeah, I just want to see more of it. I just want to see like, again, why can't Caroline and Nico have their own book? I feel like it would sell. I would throw so much money at that book. Like, I don't care if I'm the only person buying. I will buy a thousand copies if I have to. Oh, me too. I'll buy, I'll give it out to friends. (laughs) I'll be like, here, read Caroline and Nico. Fall in love with them. And I I think uh, Marvel should give more chances to that. They do give chances to other books. Like, we're having a a reptile book coming out. I know, you know, there's some hype in that one, which I'm I'm happy we're getting some Latinx uh, representation. And, you know, that's a character like, I don't think there's any fan base behind him and, and he's getting his own mini series. So, uh, you know, give, give chances to, to these type of characters. And something that I think I appreciate about run- tying all of this back with runaways. Um, something I appreciate is that these are quality queer characters because um, when it comes to queer representation, I do compare Marvel and DC very heavily. Uh, DC has a lot of fully three-dimensional queer characters, but we don't see them very often. I mean, you know, we have Batwoman, we have Alan Scott, you know, we have Midnighter. These are, you know, hugely fully developed characters that, you know, of very good quality, but we don't see them a lot. But when we do, they're there in full force. So we have, you know, the quality versus quantity thing that Marvel has a lot of queer side characters. And granted, those are important from a representation standpoint, but in very few books are the central characters queer themselves. You know, it's usually a roommate or a best friend, you know. It, or Zoe. <laughs> yeah. And um, I believe, um, uh, oh God, uh, the Hellcat book that, you know, she had a, a gay roommate. And there's always, you know, these cutesy little side romances. So you have a lot of side characters, but so rarely are the central characters fully developed queer characters. They lean and just allowed to be gay. Yeah, they don't just allowed to do gay stuff. And they lean very heavily on Billy and Teddy. And I think Marvel kind of needs to expand that roster. We've had a little bit of it with the vision in um, champions and whatnot, but that was handled as well as it was going to be. But it never went anywhere. It, it, the whole Iron Heart stuff happened, and it, it literally—I don't think it was ever touched upon again. No. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think we need more main characters, and even I would even say if you have more of these supporting characters like Zoe, I do think G Willow Wilson did a beautiful job of Absolutely. expanding that character as much as they as they could. I was like, yeah, I want to see more from her. I want to see like them expand and become their own characters and and become fully, even more fully fleshed out. But mm-hmm. I agree, like Billy and Teddy's not enough, and it's great. I mean, we're in we're in a place where Teddy led an event at oh, Marvel. Yeah. That's awesome. Like that's huge. 
Um, and again, I go back to the whole pride stuff, right? And I do think DC's promised more pride from what I've been seeing in social media and, and with, uh, um, yeah, just the promotion that there's going to be a lot more pride stuff. And they have mini series that are expanding from it. So that's awesome. Thumbs up. But going to Marvel, I hope it's not just a one issue. I want to see more comics like that. And I don't care if people, other people don't want to see it. I don't care about your opinion. I want to see it. <laughs> like there, there's a huge market for it. And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we, we need to encourage people to buy those books. And it, again, I worked in a comic book shop and I know how intense those pre-orders are. And Marvel looks at those numbers really close. They've canceled books before they've even released. Based Future on foundation. Uh, Future, Future foundation. Future foundation. Uh, Angela Queen of Hell was cancelled before it even released um, Black Panther and the crew was cancelled in pre-orders so like I'm huge like you know buy these books support you know a local comic shop they're mail order services but you know I just yeah that that is a whole other rant aside it is, and I, and, I, and I think the summary of that rant is that uh, I think the industry needs to look at numbers in maybe a different way, and I think that Marvel and DC, which DC has been adjusting to with the young adult uh, graphic novels, they, they're trying to find a different market, and I think Marvel needs to tap into that. Picture the, the queer books we can get if Marvel tapped into the YA graphic oh, novel market. It would be perfect. But We'd have runaways all the time. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. That, that, I, I need that. I need more. But um, let's see, we've been at this for a while, so we should probably wrap it up. Um, are there any final thoughts that you want to add? Um, obviously, you want to plug your stuff again, just, you know, to make sure people remember. Yeah, go check out uh, They Call Her Dancer. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, I guess I'll say this here just because uh, I was talking about before. I'm also working on a bisexual, bi-visibility uh, uh anthology so if you enjoy that conversation uh yeah look forward to the next couple of months because we're, we're heavy in edits to to get that out which i'm super excited about and, and show more representation for that hell yeah so i'm looking forward to both of those projects um i really appreciate you. you coming on and sitting down and rambling with me i i had such a good time i i loved it uh, it, it was exciting for me to actually get to talk about Runaways. That's not James going, uh-huh, uh-huh. That, <laughs> that, that poor boy, I put him through so much. <laughs> but uh, I gotta get James to read it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, he's read the original stuff, um, but in terms of, like, I, I'm trying to pull him in deeper. And I'll, I'll break him one of these days. I hope you do. <laughs> Well, um, thank you for joining me again, and uh, thank you, listeners, for uh, putting up with me rambling. I know I do it a lot, but um, yeah, do you have uh, any final words as James likes to do? I uh, know I'm good. Yeah, I'm perfectly good. Just thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, and again, I'd love to come on again. Oh, yeah, no, this was an absolute blast. So as always, um, you know, I'm going to say it for James, as always, support your local comic book shops, uh, mail order services, whatever. Um, you know, comics are in a bit of a trouble spot. So don't be afraid to investigate, find some cool indie books, find some really cool Kickstarter books, hint, hint. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. 